Awesome. Well, good morning, River City. My name is Brandon, one of the pastors here. Uh, grateful to get to join you for worship this morning. If you are new or visiting, especially want to say welcome to you. We're glad that you would join us for worship, and uh, we'd love to get to know you. I'd love to help you get plugged into the community here, and, and uh, so you can, like Aaron was talking about, you can grow in the gospel and make disciples and be a part of planting more churches and seeing what God's up to in the world that way. And so we'd love to get to know you, help you get plugged in. Um, if you were with us last week, you'll know that we just finished up studying uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians on Sunday mornings here. And, and I pray that our time in that book over the past couple of months, if you've been with us, was good for your hearts as we saw Paul con- just urging, the, urging us as Christians to continually allow the good news of the gospel and the person and the work of Jesus to keep transforming and shaping our attitudes and actions and perspectives and, and so that we can spiritually keep growing up in, in reflecting him and in in embodying the person and the work of Jesus in our own lives. And if you missed some or all that series, you can find all that on our website, rivercitydbq.org, or wherever you find your, wherever you download your podcast these days, you can find all those things on the power of the internet. So so with Philippians wrapped up, the the obvious question is, uh, what's next, right? Where where are we headed next? What are we doing this summer? Well, uh, excited to say that starting this week and then continuing throughout the summer, we're going to be in a series where we're going to be taking a look at the attributes of God. And and, an attribute refers to a quality or a characteristic that belongs to someone. And God's attributes, as we as we see throughout Scripture, they 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 define and they describe who He is. They they reveal His nature and character to us. So, in other words, God's attributes they tell us who God is and what He's like. And theologians, when they are kind of describing or making lists about God's attributes, they tend to make kind of two lists. Uh, one list is, is a list of things or a list of attributes, traits that are only true of God. These are referred to as his incommunicable attributes, things like his omniscience and omnipotence and immutability. And the other lists include traits of things that are true of God but can also be true of us. They can become true of us, things like holiness and goodness and faithfulness. And, <clears throat> and it's at this point that some of you are excited because you're like, wow. What you realize is that studying the attributes of God is fundamentally doing theology, and that's exciting to you. You're excited about that. Uh, Others of you are thinking, immuta what now? Like, what are we, omnipa who? Like, what? I do not, what is going on with any of that? Like, I'm not sure, Brandon, I'm not sure that this is the series for me. Like, I'm not sure this is where I'm at. This is what's for me. Like, this might be over my head, right? Maybe you're thinking, I'm not a pastor. I am not a professor. I am not a theologian. Like, I do not think this is the thing for me, right? Uh, But trust me, uh, this series, wherever you are at, uh, is for you. Trust me. Because believe it or not, the truth is is that that every one of us is a theologian. See, theology is simply what you think or believe about God. And all of us have thoughts and beliefs about who God is. And, And so the question isn't if theology is right for you. The question is if you're a good theologian or not. And what I want to show you as we begin our study, this ser- our, our series on the attributes of God, and, and what we're going to keep fleshing out over the weeks as we, as we spend time studying these things is, is that the reason why theology matters, the reason why understanding and believing the truth about who God is and what he's like, the reason why that is so important is because what you believe always determines what you do. What you believe, it always determines what you do. Understanding God's attributes, therefore, it has crucial implications for our day-to-day lives. It's not just a heady, theological, informational pursuit. 
it really actually changes the way that we live. You see, our behaviors, they are the tangible expression of our beliefs. Our behaviors are the tangible expression of our belief, right? If I didn't believe that my credit card would pay for my groceries, I would not swipe that thing at the checkout, right? If you didn't believe that the chair that you were sitting in wouldn't hold you, you would not sit down on it, right? If I didn't believe that God was sovereign and in control, then I wouldn't waste time praying to him, asking him to work and move in my life or in the world, right? See, what you believe always changes what you do. That's why A.W. Tozer, he famously wrote it this way. He says, what we think or believe about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so wherever you're at this morning, I just want to invite you into our series this summer. Whether you come from a background with the idea about thinking about theology, it's like that's exciting to you, or whether you are like intimidated by the idea of big words that you don't understand and thinking about what that means for your life and for God, wherever you are at, I want to encourage you. Our, our series this summer is for you. God wants to keep revealing himself to you. He wants to keep showing himself to you. And my heart is that as we examine who he says that he is and who he reveals himself to be throughout Scripture, that you, that you might ask him to keep not just shaping what you think about him, not just informing your mind and what you think, but that you might ask him to keep shaping your heart and what you believe. So that in believing the truth about God, you might become increasingly the people that he's made you to be from the very beginning. And so that's my heart for us as we start our series this summer. And I can't wait every week to show you those things and to see how the reality about the truth about who God is, how that changes our lives on a ground level, day-to-day basis. So can't wait to show you that this summer. But before we do that, uh, let's pray, and then we'll dive into our passage this morning. God, we are so grateful for you and for our time together in your word. And God, as we uh, study this morning, just humbly, God, we want to come before you and just ask that you'd be the one who empowers our time together. God, I don't have any special notes. I don't have some special power. All I have is you. And so, God, I ask that your word might be good news to our hearts this morning, that you might, by your spirit, uh, be shaping uh, not just our minds, but you'd be shaping our hearts and what we believe, and that you'd be causing us to begin to start seeing the areas where what we believe about you might not really be true, and where we need the truth of your word to keep showing us what is true about you. And so, uh, we need you for all of that, God, and we pray that uh, for our good and for the good of our community, and ultimately for your glory that you would do it. So we ask. Amen. All right, so this morning uh, we're going to be taking a look at a passage in Romans chapter 1. And just a heads up, we are not trying to suck the marrow out of everything going on in Romans chapter 1 this morning. That would require like a 17-part sermon series on its own. Uh, Instead, what I want to do in our time together in this passage is is, uh, what I want to do is just highlight a few really important realities about why spending time this summer uh, studying God's attributes and who he reveals himself to be why that matters so much. And so with that in mind, uh, we'll, we'll read our passage this morning. Just one other caveat. In my studies this week, I realized that this sermon was either going to be super long or short and sweet. It's way too nice a day for a long one. So we're going to keep her short and sweet this morning, right? And uh, enjoy God's creation as well as his word today. So, uh, let, me, and so let, me, uh, let me dive in. We're in Romans chapter 1. It begins this way. He says, 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. There's our word believes, right? First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. For just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God's made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse." For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their, in their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. For they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, like I talked about in the introduction this morning, um, what you believe always changes what you do. Yeah, it is true. And the first thing that I want to show you in our passage this morning is that that reality is true for everyone, not just for Christians. Uh, Paul, in verse 17, he talks about how the, the righteous live by faith. He's saying that the way that people who know God live is rooted in faith. It's rooted in believing the truth about who God is as he's revealed it in the gospel. And, and what we believe about God, Paul says, it, it changes the way that we live, Right? But then he goes on throughout the rest of the passage to highlight how the same thing is true for everyone else as well. He says, while the righteous live by faith in God, the wicked, he says, they live by faith in something else too. It's just faith in something that's not true. It's faith in a lie. Verse 25, he says it this way, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. See, Paul's saying that no matter who you are, whether you love God and know him, whether you have no idea who he is, we all live by faith in something, and what we believe changes what we do. Most importantly, what we believe about God changes who or what we worship. And Paul says, if you believe the truth about God, then you'll worship him with your lives. But if you believe a lie about God, then we'll worship something else with our lives. You see, Paul says that, that the, it's the lies that we believe about God, that that's the thing that leads to all types of sin. And that's the second thing I want to show you in the passage. Because what Paul's getting at throughout the whole passage here in, in Romans chapter 1 is this idea that, that behind and underneath every sinful attitude and motive and thought and action is fundamentally unbelief in the truth about God. In other words, our sin is a result of us believing lies about God. And there are a whole, there are a number of different forms that our unbelief takes, a number of different reasons why unbelief characterizes us. And, and the first, I think, is just simply that, that we don't believe the truth about God because we don't know the truth about God. Many of you are here this morning, and you're maybe young in your faith. You, you don't, you're figuring out what God is, who God is and what it means to follow him, or maybe you've become a Christian recently, and you're just still figuring out what it means to, to know and love him. And that's a big part of why I'm excited to do this series this summer, because the reality is, is that if you want to believe the truth, you have to know the truth. 
And so spending time as we look at the attributes of God and, and what Scripture reveals is true about Him, that's really valuable and worthwhile because you have to know the truth to believe it. But also the reality is that maybe many of you are here and you've been Christians for a long time, but the reality is, is that maybe you just haven't grown up in your faith. You've kind of had the approach that, that you know, like the theology stuff, that, that's for somebody else. All I really want to do is, all I really care is about is, is, is the practice stuff. Like, what are we supposed to be doing with our lives? And what does it really mean to follow Jesus? But the reality is, is again, is that what you believe, it changes what you do. And so that's why theology and thinking about the reality about who God is, why that really matters. So, so some of us, we need to grow in our understanding of what is true about God because we just don't know that. But secondly, the reason, that, the reason for our unbelief is that instead of believing the truth, we actually end up believing lies, things that aren't true about God. Not many people think about themselves as people who believe lies, but the reality is that every time we don't trust God's word, we're believing something else. And as Tim Chester puts it, that is always a lie. We envy and steal. We're filled with anxiety about money because we believe the lie that, that things will give us meaning and purpose in our lives or because we believe the lie that God doesn't actually care about us. We, we indulge in sexual immorality. We get depressed about being single because we believe that intimacy with someone else is going to provide us with something that God never really can or we overwork because we don't trust that God's the one who provides or because we believe the lie that we need to prove ourselves to him or to others by our performance and we get depressed or bitter because we believe that God just isn't good or that he's not in control or that he doesn't actually care about us. And there's a million other things, a million other ways that, that our actions and our behaviors are fundamentally a result of things that we believe that aren't true about God. And so again, we need to keep looking at what the scriptures say about what is true about him. But, but I think there's a third area, and I think this is true for all of us universally at different areas of our lives and different, different parts of our walk with, in, our, in our faith is that, is that we might know what is true about God. We might know what the Bible has to say about who he is and what he's like, but we fail to actually put into practice those beliefs. Or in the midst of difficult situations or, or hardship, we, we forget what is true about God. We, we say that we believe something is true, but our lives show that we don't actually believe that. We, there's a truth that we should know, but in actuality, we don't believe it. We, we live as unbelievers. Tim Chester, in his book, um, You Can Change, he says it this way. He, puts it, he says, not many Christians think of themselves as unbelievers. After all, we normally use that term to describe people who aren't Christians, but most of us can happily endorse the creeds or the doctrines of our church. The problems lie in the gap between what we believe in theory and what we believe in practice. It's the, the gap between our theoretical belief and our functional belief. You see, it's easy to forget in the midst of pain and hardship or unmet desires that the truth about that, that God is sovereign and powerful that he's actually in control, working things out for our good, that he is loving and good, that he never changes and that he is always with us. It's easy to believe that our future depends on us, that, that by our worry and our careful planning, we can prevent whatever problems we might want to avoid in our lives or that, that the pleasures of this world, they outmatch the joys of obedience to God's commands. It's so easy to forget what is true. And so because we all wrestle with unbelief in our lives, functional unbelief, 
It leads us into sin, as Paul talks about. And so that's why it's important for us to ask the question is, how do you identify that? One of my hopes this summer as we take a look at a number of different attributes of God is that God by his grace might begin to help us to identify some of those areas in our lives where maybe the way that we live is revealing that there's something that we are functionally believing about God that isn't true. And I want to help us to start, help, ask God to help us to start seeing what some of those areas are. And so in order to start identifying where we might be believing things that aren't true is that we have to start to ask the question about who or what we worship, right? Paul at the beginning, he said, right, those, when we exchange the truth about God for a lie, it leads us to worship created things rather than the creator. So we've got to ask the question about what we worship. Who or what are the, is the thing that holds the controlling influence in your life? Who, who or what is the thing that matters the most to you? What's the thing that you would be most devastated if you lost or most given to pursuing with your life? What is the thing that drives everything that you do? And since our worship is revealed not just by our thoughts but by our actions, we have to look not just at the internal but the external of our lives to see what does my life reveal that that, that answers those questions. See, the reality is, is that when we're believing the truth about God, what happens is one of the best ways to know when you're believing what's true about God is that your life increasingly reflects the character of Jesus. Your life increasingly reflects his character because Jesus knew what was true about God and he lived as though that was true perfectly. And so when we believe the truth about God, our lives increasingly reflect his character, Right? We don't need to be in control all the time. Instead, like Jesus, we can be characterized by a freedom to give up control and to freely submit to God's fatherly will and direction and leading in our lives. We don't desperately need the approval of others. Instead, like Jesus, we know that we're loved by and approved of by the king of the universe and that what he thinks actually matters more than anything else. And we don't need to run after and to cling to power and influence. Instead, like Jesus, we're able to hold those things loosely and to even give them up freely because we know that the God who made the universe and who holds it together is sovereignly working out his will and his purposes in our world and in our lives in a way that you and I could not, even if we, even if we had the power to, we couldn't bring about. We don't need to the endless pursuit of comfort and the pleasures of this world because like Jesus, we can gladly choose to press into the difficult things God calls us to knowing that the joy and the life you're actually after is wrapped up in obedience to him, not just the stuff of the world. You see, when you're believing the truth about who God is, it changes you and you start to reflect the character of Jesus and your life starts to look more and more like his. But I think the reality is, is that as we examine our lives, and, and I think we can all agree that there's plenty of ways that even if we know what's true about God, there's plenty of ways that our lives reveal that we don't believe that, in, that we don't functionally believe that. And that, that we either don't know or that we've forgotten or just failed to believe the truth about God. And so the, so the question that we're left at the, with at the end of the passage isn't just how to identify unbelief, but the question that we're left is, how do you go from unbelief to belief? Right? How, do you, how do you exchange the lies that we've traded for the truth about God for the truth about him? How do we do the reverse? Right? How, do we, how do we live out in practice what we believe in theory, what we know to be true? 
Well, Romans 1 hints at that, and we'll come back to it in just a minute, but to see the answer to that more clearly, we're going to take a quick detour over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul, Paul writes there in verse 18, he says it this way, he says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, that, that word for contemplate is the word behold. It's the word to see rightly, to grasp and understand the reality of something. Paul says, we who, who with unveiled faces contemplate, behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory that comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, what Paul's saying is that the way that you change, the way that you go from unbelief to belief, not just identifying those things, but, but functionally believing the truth about God, the way that you become who God has made you to be, is that you behold his glory. That you see him for who he really is. And that's my heart again for our time together this summer. As we spend time looking at the attributes of God, as we take a look at Scripture and what God's Word says about who He is and how God throughout history has proven who He says He is, is true. I want us to spend time meditating on the truth about who God reveals Himself to be, seeing Him for who He really is, beholding Him so that in beholding him, we might actually believe the truth about him and be transformed into the people that he's making us to be. See, the, the, the title of our series this summer is, is Behold, Believe, Become. Because the reality is, is that apart from beholding, there is no becoming. You see, becoming the people God made us to be, becoming the people he's designed us to be from the very beginning, is wrapped up in beholding who he says he is, seeing the real him and choosing to reject the lies that we believe about him and instead embrace the truth about who he says he is. It's wrapped up in those things. You see, it's when we behold God's glory, when we see him for who he is, as Jen Wilkin writes it, she says, our fears will be put to flight, our self-adulation, our self-glorification will be laid to rest and our hearts will be turned towards real worship. You see, you gotta, there is no becoming apart from beholding. That's what I want to spend time doing this summer, to show you the God of the Bible. He is altogether otherworldly. He is far beyond compare, anything we can believe or imagine. The reality of his nature and character is such good news, so far unlike anything that we know, and yet at the same time, the God who is limitless is also the God who reveals himself to us, who lives within our hearts, and who makes himself known to us. It's such good news. And as we close this morning, what I want to do is come back to Romans chapter 1 for a minute. Because the answer is, is, as we think about what it looks like to behold him, we want to come back to the reality that, that God reveals himself. That the only way you can, the only reason why we can see him and behold him for who he is, is because he chooses to make himself known to us. And there's two ways that, that he does that, that we see in Romans chapter 1. This is not the, the list of all the ways, but two really important ways we see in Romans that God reveals himself to us, that he makes himself known so we can see the truth about him. And the first is that, that he does that through creation. Verse 20, Paul writes, he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine 
divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. See, this is what theologians refer to as general revelation. When we look at the created universe, what we see is that God has revealed who he is, what he's like in broad terms through the world around us. In the beauty and intricacy and enormity and vastness of God's creation, what we are meant to see is a God who is the ultimate creator. A one whose power and authority and majesty are far beyond our own. We're supposed to see the reality that there is a God and that we are not him. See, but general revelation is not enough. It's not just enough to know that there is a God that he has power and authority to create. There's more than that. You see, what we need is not just general revelation, but what we need is a special revelation. We need to see not just his power, but what he is like. And that's what Paul is talking about in verse 17. He says, for in the gospel, in the person and work of Jesus, the very righteousness of God is revealed. God's righteousness is, it's everything that is true and right and good about him. It's the very essence of his character, of his nature. It's his standard. It's who he, who he really is. And Paul says it's the person and work of Jesus that is the perfect revelation of the very nature and character of God. Hebrews 1 says it this way, that, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, that he is the exact representation of his being. Paul's saying is that the way that you know God, not just know about him, the way you know him is through Jesus. That's the way you know him. And so if we want to behold the truth about God, then we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. I can't wait to show you this summer as we take a look at the attributes of God, how Jesus is the perfect revelation, the imperfect embodiment of all that God is. But more than that, he's the perfect version of humanity. He shows us what it looks like to relate to God rightly. So if we want to behold who God is, we want to see him rightly and see what it looks like to relate to him rightly, then we've got to look at the person and the work of Jesus. And I can't wait to show you that this summer. But we don't have time to do the deep dive on that this morning. It's a long road. I can't wait to show it to you. But, but this morning, I want to invite you to set your eyes on Jesus as we celebrate communion together. One of the reasons that we take communion every week is, is not because we just like doing rituals and going through the motions, but it's because we forget. We forget the truth about who God is and who he's proven himself to be, and we forget the truth about who he's proven we are to him. And so communion is about choosing to remember what is true. As God reveals and proves his character and nature in and through the person and the work of Jesus. Reminding us, reminding ourselves about the truth about God and all that he's done. And so if you're here today and you've put your faith in Jesus, if he's the one who you know is the very revelation of God who's come to make you right with him, then I want to encourage you during our time of worship, go back and take communion. There's a table on the left and on the right and you can dip the bread in the juice during our time of worship. Go back whenever you see fit to do that. Do it as a joyful remembrance, a reminder about the who God has proven himself to be in Jesus. 
But for those of you who are here and you're still figuring out what it means to follow him, you're still figuring out if, if, if trusting Jesus as God is even, the thing you, is even the thing that you want, if that's what's true, if you're still figuring that out, I just want you to know how welcome you are here, how welcome your questions are and your process is, how welcome your doubts are in the midst of that. And so communion might not be right for you this morning, but Jesus is, and this community is, and we'd love to help you get to know him. But I'd encourage you, hold off on taking communion. God's not after religious rituals and going through the motions. He's after a heart that trusts him completely. And so, wherever you're at this morning, I want to encourage you, as we sing and as we worship, as we remember the gospel together in song, I want to encourage you, talk with God. You see, the key to beholding God, like I said, is, the, is his choice to reveal himself to us. You don't just like work your way into the right knowledge. You don't just read the right books and have all the right answers. The reality is that God reveals himself to us. So I want to encourage you, as we study his attributes this summer, begin even this morning by asking him to show himself to you, to help you to see what is true about him, but not just to see what's true about him, but to believe what is true about him. And in order to do that, you're going to actually need to ask him to help you to see the lies that you're believing, the things that are not true, that are shaping the way that you relate to him, the way you think and act and live. You need him to help you to see those things as well. And so I want to encourage you, ask him to do that this morning as we begin our summer together examining the, the character and the nature, the, the, the God of the universe. Ask him to make himself known to you, both what is true and what is not that you're believing, so that you might not just know more about him, but so that in beholding him, you might believe the truth and become who God's made you to be. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for you, and we're so grateful that uh, we don't just endlessly try to seek you out and find you, but that you are a God who chooses to reveal yourself to us. And so as we study this summer who you've revealed yourself to be, God, we just humbly ask that you would make yourself known to us. That you wouldn't just, uh, that you wouldn't just inform our minds and change our thinking, God, but that you would shape our hearts and that you would shape our believing. God, we want to be a people that beholds the truth about you and that believes the truth about you so that we might become the people you've made us to be. God, thinks that you want to show yourself to us. Thinks that you want to be known, that you aren't hiding. Help us to see you rightly, we pray. Amen.